Hi there, and welcome back to another edition of Built to Sell Radio, the podcast designed to help you punch above your weight in a negotiation to sell your company. I'm the executive producer, Colin Morgan, and today on the show, we have a special edition of Built to Sell Radio, where we are going to share five proven strategies to help you attract a strategic acquirer for your business. But before I tell you about today's episode, a quick word from today's sponsor of the show, Scribe Media. You know, there's an old expression that the best businesses are bought, not sold. Meaning, when an acquirer approaches you, you're in the catbird seat, right? You've got negotiating leverage because they're coming to you. The question is, how do they find you? Well, acquirers typically target an industry. They're either rolling up an industry or have a specific need in a specific sector. And so they quickly search for who the leaders are in that industry. And if you've written the book on your industry, you bubble quickly to the surface. Now, what if you don't have time to write a book or maybe you're not just a writer? That's where Scribe Media can help. Scribe Media is the book publishing company responsible for bringing the visions of entrepreneurs like David Goggins, Nikki Barua, and Robert Glazier to life. And this is a strategy our own guests at Built to Sell Radio have pursued. You may recall James Ashford was episode 335. He's the guy behind the company Go Proposal. Now, he wanted to get known as a thought leader in the accounting industry. And so we wrote a book called Selling to Serve. And it was a few months later that one of the giants in the accounting industry, Sage, noticed the book, noticed James's company, and made him a healthy eight-figure acquisition offer. Look, writing a book can put your company on the map, and you get bonus points from me if you co-write it with your second-in-command, your general manager, so that some of the brand buzz and equity accrues to your 2IC or your general manager, making sure your business doesn't come too dependent on you personally. Now, you may be saying, well, I'm not a writer, nor is my second in command for that matter. Well, no problem. Scribe Media lets you speak your book and then they will write it for you in your voice. Let me say that again. They will write it for you. When it's time to sell your business, buyers will know exactly who you are, what you stand for, and the legacy they'll inherit from the company you've built. Visit scribemedia.com and book your free consultation today. A quick reminder, if you're not subscribed to Build to Sell Radio, to hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you want to help support the show, you can do so by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. I have linked how to do this in the show notes section, which can be found over at builttosell.com. Okay, now, if you've opted in to receive our newsletter at builttosell.com, then you know that this week we talked about strategic acquisitions. Now, this newsletter generated us the highest open and click-through rate we've received all year. So I wanted to get John to elaborate on this, to show you just exactly how you can best position your company to attract a strategic acquirer. Now, without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's special edition of Built to Sell Radio.
Welcome to a special edition of Built to Sell Radio. Usually, we interview guests about punching above their weight when it comes to selling a company. But today, I wanted to do a special edition for you because I saw the news about Microsoft embedding ChatGPT's technology into the latest version of Microsoft 365. And I think it's a, a perfect example of a strategic acquisition at play. And for you, as you think about the sale of your company one day, you're going to have hopefully a lot of different range of options. You'll have individual investors potentially looking to buy your company. Maybe you'll be interesting to a private equity group. And then there's this other segment of potential buyers called strategic acquirers, who by definition have some sort of strategic asset that makes their company, your company, more valuable in their hands. Maybe they've got a distribution channel. They've got a, a, a market that they can penetrate with your product, et cetera. And so today I want to dedicate our entire episode to helping you discover your strategic acquirer. And by the way, strategic acquirers are more likely to pay a premium to buy your business. Why? Because there's additional value to capture. Unlike a financial buyer, like an individual investor or a private equity group who are simply buying your future stream of profits, a strategic acquirer has some sort of strategic rationale to buy your company. They've got something they want to do with it that makes it, again, more valuable in their hands than it would be in a financial buyer's hands, which means that they're often willing to pay a premium for your company. The question, though, is how do you find the natural strategic acquirer for your business? And so today, I really want to drill into how you can go about thinking about that. Let's first talk about the Microsoft investment in open AI. And then I'll give you five different strategic reasons that strategic companies buy smaller businesses. And that's not an exhaustive list, but it is a hopefully a thought starter for you is to get your mind spinning on ways that you could position your business for a strategic acquire. But before we go there, let's just open and unpack this OpenAI Microsoft deal. So you know back in January, Microsoft announced they'd make a strategic investment, taking a 49% stake in OpenAI, the company behind the AI chatbot, ChatGPT. Pretty cool investment, and they made a lot of noise when it happened. But last week, they announced something that was really interesting. They announced that they would integrate the OpenAI technology into a product called Copilot, which will sit next to or be nested alongside with the Microsoft 365 application. So you know Microsoft 365 as all the old products we've known and loved for years, right? So Excel, Microsoft Word, Microsoft PowerPoint. I mean, we've all been using these things for decades. And they will now come in the future with this Copilot feature, which essentially allows you to use the AI technology to do really cool things. So analyze an Excel spreadsheet, take a group of disparate notes and turn it into a PowerPoint or a, or a, a Word proposal, uh, take a script and make a PowerPoint proposal. All of these things are being enabled by this chat GPT technology. And what's really fascinating about this marriage 
is the economic benefit that Microsoft stands to gain from this inclusion of Copilot. So if you think about it, Microsoft has 370 million, if you can believe it, commercial Office 365 users. So businesses using Office 365, they have 370 million of them. And so if 10% of them upgrade to an AI-enhanced license, Financial Times reported a $14.9 billion upcharge that Microsoft would enjoy. In other words, Microsoft would get $14.9 billion of new revenue if they were to embed this co-pilot feature into a Microsoft 365 license. And 10% of their commercial customers, these are people who use 365 for business, were to upgrade as a result of the AI-enhanced upgrade opportunity. $14.9 billion. Now remember, they've invested $10 billion in OpenAI. So they automatically stand to gain their entire investment back in simply upgrading Microsoft 365 customers. Now, that's just Microsoft 365, but Microsoft, as you know, has a massive business across many consumer and business-to-business -business product lines. And you can start to see if they can make that much money off just Office and the, the old Excel, Word, and PowerPoint combination. Can you imagine how much this opportunity could be for Microsoft if they start to graft this new technology across all of their different business lines? And, and so you can start to imagine yourself as a Microsoft executive in a situation where it's hard to not win by buying or investing in OpenAI, the company again behind ChatGPT. And that's really the definition of a strategic acquisition where the acquiring company has some asset that you do not have, but that makes your company incredibly valuable to them in their hands. And so I want to turn to five rationales, five strategic reasons big companies buy little ones. Now, is this an exhaustive list? Absolutely not. There are lots of reasons big companies buy little ones, and there's lots of strategic rationales. But I want to give you five, I would say, of the most common rationales, because I think it will get your wheels turning. And what I want you to do as a result of this podcast is develop a list of potential acquirers that you think have some sort of strategic reason to buy your business. Again, this is not intended as an exhaustive list of strategic rationales or theses as investors talk about, but it's simply to get your wheels turning. So when was the last time you had an employee make a mistake that ended up impacting a customer? Stop mistakes before they happen. With VidGuide, your video-based instructions pop up directly into the software your employees use. From Salesforce to QuickBooks and from Bamboo HR to HubSpot, if you use it to run your business, VidGuide integrates with it. As a Built to Sell listener, you can grab a free 14-day trial at vidguide.com slash free. Number one on our list of why big companies buy little ones is to get their hands on a new product to sell their existing customers. If you've got a product that a large company and their customer base would find attractive, that's likely to be a good potential strategic acquire for you. And I'll give you an example of this. We interviewed Stephanie Breedlove uh, back in 2016. I'll put a 
link to the episode in the show notes so you can take a look. But Stephanie built a great little payroll company. She had a niche where she focused on doing payroll for parents who have a nanny to pay. So this is her niche. And so you can imagine yourself, you, you've got a babysitter to pay and you know, you've got two choices. You can go to ADP or paychecks and you'll get the runaround because they're not really geared to setting up payroll for one person. Or you can go to Breedlove's company that specializes exclusively on setting up payroll for people who have a nanny to pay. So when Breedlove looked out in the landscape and said, well, who would have a strategic reason to buy her company? She quickly stumbled across Care.com. So Care.com, you may know, is like the, the kind of Angie's list of the babysitting market. If you're in the need of a babysitter or an au pair or someone to watch your kids, you can plug in your city in a, in a, in a, in a search field on Care.com, and it will spit out a list of five-star rated babysitters in your local market. So this is a cool company. It's got 7 million subscribers, 7 million people who have opted into care.com at the time Breedlove and Associates approached them. Stephanie had just 10,000 customers. And she said, look, I mean, if 1% of those 7 million subscribers buy my payroll service, that's 70,000 customers. That's a business seven times our size today. At the time of the acquisition, Stephanie had $9 million in revenue on the backs of 10,000 customers. Care.com bought that little $9 million business for $54 million or six times top line revenue. Why? Because they did the math. They simply said they can't lose with 7 million subscribers, 7 million parents who have a, a nanny to pay. It would be almost inconceivable they couldn't get at least 1% of those existing subscribers to buy Breedlove service. And again, that was a business seven times the size. So overnight, they flipped the switch, they turned it on, and it's a winning accretive acquisition for Care.com. So look, number one reason that big companies buy little ones is to get their hands on a new product to sell their existing set of customers. Reason number two big companies buy little ones, is to lower their customer acquisition costs, lower their CAC. You know, when you reach a point of maturation as a big company, it becomes harder and harder to win new customers, right? Like all the low-hanging fruit has been picked off the plant and it becomes harder and harder for you to acquire new customers. And so your CAC starts to go up as you mature as a business, meaning your customer acquisition costs for each new customer you're trying to acquire, it's costing you more and more and more. And nowhere is that felt more seriously than in software, which is why HubSpot bought The Hustle, Sam Parr's business. And we interviewed Sam a couple of months ago on the show. And so I'll, again, I'll link to it in the show notes of this episode. But HubSpot is a great business with a challenge. And that is that it costs more and more to acquire customers. And what The Hustle had built was a great following of small business owners who received their daily email on running and growing a business. And so it wasn't that much of a stretch for HubSpot to realize that by acquiring Sam's company, they would have a built-in channel to a market audience that all need or many of whom need HubSpot's product. 
And so by becoming the HubSpot, the owner of Hustle, HubSpot was able to, or at least their rationale is that they're going to be able to lower their customer acquisition costs. Interestingly, about a month ago, we did an interview with the guy behind Indie Hackers, one of two brothers behind Indie Hackers, and Stripe bought Indie Hackers for the same reason. Uh, they wanted to lower their customer acquisition costs at Stripe. And so they bought Indie Hackers. And so this CAC of a, a challenge, I guess, with, with a, 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 a high and increasing CAC is yet another reason that big companies buy little ones. Third reason on our list of why big companies acquire small ones is to replace a dying product line. So again, if you think about a big company, they've reached a point of maturation where they likely have some cash cow products. And similar to the way Microsoft Office could be conceived of, or at least you know, Word, Excel, and PowerPoint could be conceived as cash cows, right? They've been around for decades. They spit off an incredible amount of money, but eventually they're going to start atrophying. It's, it's atrophying. It's essentially you know, a check business. It's, it's a melting iceberg, if you want to think of it that way. And their job as you know, managers or custodians of that product line is to kind of maintain it and keep the cash being spit out of this by kind of evolving it over time. And so if you've got a big strategic business in your industry who has a very mature, arguably dying product line, that's another great target for selling your company to. So I'll give you an example of this. We interviewed Harun Mukhtazarda about nine months ago. Again, I'll put a, a link to the show notes. He built webs.com, which was a way for small businesses and consumers and prosumers to create an inexpensive website. Well, Vistaprint is known as the company behind those cheap and cheerful business cards. And a whole other set of, you know, uh, printed products, collateral, brochures, and so forth. And when Vistaprint decided that the business of selling printed products was starting to fade, they were looking to go digital. And so they went on the hunt for a company that would enable them to get into the website building market for small business owners, their target segment. And Haroon's company bubbled pretty quickly to the surface. And if you listen to Haroon's episode, it was a fantastic acquisition, you know, multiple, multiple revenues or top, multiples of top line revenue. And it was in part because Vistaprint was highly motivated to replace a dying product line, printed materials, again, a melting iceberg that they're, to their credit, trying to maintain, but at the same time have a desperate need to replace. And so that's the third reason big companies often buy little ones is to replace or inject energy into a cash cow product. Number four on our list of why big companies buy smaller businesses is to instill your secret sauce for serving customers into their business. You know, it's funny, when a big company gets really big, a lot of the creativity gets squeezed out of it, right? A lot of the, the panache, the style, the, uh, the uniqueness of 
a big company eventually just gets squeezed out of it as it tries to grow and scale and standardize. And the kind of magic of the brand starts to fade away. And so companies often look to acquire businesses that have managed to create some sort of customer experience that is unique, that is something they envy. And that's exactly why Home Depot bought Blinds.com. So if you haven't listened to Jay Steinfeld's episode of Built to Sell Radio, it's a good one. It was probably two or three years ago. Again, I'll, I'll link it up to the show notes of this episode. But it talks about Jay's growth in building Blinds.com. If you haven't heard the story, it's, it's a pretty amazing story. He started Blinds.com, the business of selling window coverings. Around the time, Jeff Bezos started selling books online. And he saw Bezos selling books and thought, well, why wouldn't you know I be able to sell a blinds on the internet. At the time, his wife owned a window covering store and he thought, well, this has got to be easier than what my wife is doing, working six days a week, 10 hours a day, running a retail shop. And so he started this company called blinds.com. It was a very rudimentary website at the beginning. It was a, you know, up by the bootstraps, you know, uh, experience and story that he told on the show, but it was a fascinating journey. Over the next 30 years, 25 years, he built Blinds.com into the number one online retailer of window coverings in the United States, more than $100 million of revenue a year when Home Depot took notice. Now, why would Home Depot take notice of Blinds.com? Well, two reasons. One is obvious. The second is the real strategic reason that I believe Home Depot bought Blinds.com. So the first, the obvious one is that when you're a giant retailer, you want to be number one and number two in any category that you serve. So if you decide to get into a category, you want to be number one or number two in that category. And Home Depot wants to be number one in every category they they want to dominate. And so Blinds was, they were getting their, eat, their lunch eaten effectively. They were not number one in Blinds. But by buying Blinds.com, they quickly could overtake and become the number one blinds company in the United States. But the second reason Home Depot bought blinds.com is less obvious. But if you think about the Home Depot business model, and, and I'd encourage you to just think about your own experience when you shop at a big box retailer, hardware store, they were having a real tough time getting people to go to homedepot.com and buying products on their website. Because we all want to go touch and feel the hardware that we buy, right? We want to go into a store, we want to see how it feels, we want to touch it, feel it, et cetera. And Home Depot couldn't figure out how to get people migrated over to their online channel where it would be infinitely cheaper for them to serve customers, right? If you think about it, no bricks and mortar, no employees, uh, you know, no insurance, you know, no parking lot, no heat, no hydro, no all those things that go into having bricks and mortar retail. They knew that if they could get people to buy on homedepot.com, they would take a huge swath of expenses out of their business model and jack up their profitability. But they couldn't do it. But what Jay Steinfeld had done over a 25-year period was hone his ability and his company's ability to sell complicated products on a website. Because if you think about window coverings, they're a much more complicated product than a book. A book, you know what it feels like. You know what it's going to look like before it actually arrives. But a window covering, you got to measure it. You got to get a sense of the fabric. You got to find a way to install it. 
And what was Home Depot's problem at the time? Selling products that were complicated, needed to be touched and felt, and needed to be installed, selling those kind of products on a website. And Jay Steinfeld and his team at Blinds.com had cracked that code. And that is the second reason that Home Depot made a life-changing offer to Jay Steinfeld to acquire Blinds.com. Again, listen to the episode and you'll get all the kind of backstory, but it's a really good example of trying to kind of graft some secret sauce that you've created. You know, Tony Shea, the late Tony Shea, and what he built at Zappos was in part not because of the shoes were any different that they were selling on Zappos, but it was the way they sold those shoes and the experience they gave those customers that Amazon wanted to inject into its business unit, which is one of the reasons they bought Zappos for, I think it was close to a billion dollars before Tony Shea passed away. So that's the fourth reason that big companies buy little ones. And the fifth reason, and again, I'm presenting this as sort of a David Letterman's top 10 list. I'm, I'm not intending it to be a exhaustive list. All I want to do is get your mind spinning a little bit on who would be a natural acquire, a strategic acquire for your company. And the fifth reason that big companies buy little ones is to enter a brand new market. And so here, I'll tell you the story of Content Square and their acquisition of Hotchar. So if you haven't heard Dave Darmanin's episode, it is arguably one of the best episodes of Built to Sell Radio. We've been doing this show since 2015. It would rank, I would think, in the top five episodes of all time, both in terms of downloads, most accommodated, and just most enjoyable to listen to. So I would encourage you to listen to David Darmanin's episode. Again, I'll link up to it in the show notes. But Dave Darmanin built a wonderful company called Hotjar. Hotjar, if you haven't checked it out, is a way to see how people navigate your website, right? It's got a heat map and you can see where people click. And it's designed to help you understand how people navigate your website and so you can make improvements to the navigation of your site. And Dave built an amazing business. Dave and his team and his partners built this amazing business, really getting small businesses and web development shops to use Hotjar. I mean, he dominated the SMB market. And again, he was just acquiring customers for pennies on the dollar and, and getting them hooked up and, and, and synced up with Hotjar. I'd have to go back and re-listen to the episode, but I think he got to 40 million in revenue, like almost from a standing start. It's incredible growth journey. But along comes a company called Content Square. Now, Content Square knew of Hotjar very early in their journey. And in fact, Dave and the founder of Hotjar knew one another. They were, they were friendly. They were, uh, they were quasi-competitors, not direct competitors, because Hotjar wasn't really focused where Content Square was focused. Because Content Square was really doing web usability in the mid-market and large enterprise segment. And so... When they saw Hotjar and the way they were dominating the SMB market, they saw two things. Number one, a way to enter a new market, the SMB market, which they had not served before. And number two, get a perfect pipeline of brand new businesses that were starting up, some of whom which would become mid and large enterprise companies, which they could sell to through Content Square. And so they made a life-changing offer for the Hotjar business that changed Dave's life forever, as he will describe and does describe in the Built to Sell Radio episode. So again, I'll link up to uh, Dave Darman's episode, Content Square Acquiring Hotjar for 
the ability to really dominate the SMB market. So that's the fifth reason that big companies buy little ones is to access a market that they're not marketing, they're not accessing today. It could be a segment of customers. In the case of David, it was the SMB market. Could be a physical geography. Could be that they dominate in Europe and you're in the United States or vice versa. It can be a psychographic segment that they're looking to go after that you do a great job of. Regardless, they're trying to tap into a new market and they see acquiring your company as a way to do that. Let me finish up. There are three, broadly speaking, ways to sell your business to an external third party, right? You can sell to an individual investor, a private equity group, or a strategic acquirer. In the case of the individual investor and the private equity group, they're what are known as financial buyers. Typically, they're buying your future stream of profit. They don't necessarily bring a strategic set of assets to the table, unless the private equity group's doing a roll-up. They're really buying your future stream of profit, and it limits the amount of money they can pay to buy your business. However, strategics have a strategic reason to buy your business. It's worth more in their hands than it is in yours or that of a private of, of, a, of a financial buyer, which is why sometimes strategic acquirers pay more for your business than would a financial or an individual investor. The good news is if you're attractive to a strategic acquirer, you'll likely also be attractive to private equity and, and financial buyers. So it behooves you, I think, to think about who are the strategic acquirers in your landscape. For OpenAI, Microsoft was that strategic acquirer. And for Microsoft, it made a whole bunch of sense for them to by OpenAI if they're able to fulfill against this upgrade opportunity with Copilot. For you, I want you to think about who those strategic are. It could be that your business provides a new product for them to sell to an existing customer base, like in the case of Stephanie Breedlove. It could be that your company or your audience allows them to lower their customer acquisition costs like it was for HubSpot's acquisition of The Hustle. It could be that they've got a melting iceberg and they're just fine, trying to find a way to keep the cash cow spitting out money, which again was Vistaprint's rationale for buying webs.com from Haru Mekhazada. Could be that you've got some secret sauce for serving customers and they want to learn from your ability to serve customers in a unique way, as was the case with Home Depot's acquisition of Blinds.com. And finally, it could be that a strategic wants to enter a new market, which was the case with Content Square's acquisition of Hotjar. I hope this episode has got you thinking, got your wheels spinning a little bit. Again, I'll put these links to each of these acquisitions in the show notes. You can grab those uh, at builttosell.com. As always, next week, we will be back with another edition of Built to Sell Radio with another entrepreneur with the story of punching above their weight in a negotiation to sell their company. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Built to Sell Radio. If you enjoyed today's episode with John, then be sure you hit that subscribe button. For show notes, including links to everything referenced in today's episode, including all of the episodes that John referenced during today's podcast, be sure to visit our episode page, which can be found at builttosell.com. Special thanks to Dennis Labatagula for handling today's audio engineering. And thank you to our community of certified value builders who help us bring our message to you. Our advisor community are experts in helping you build the value of your company. To get in touch with an advisor or learn how to become one yourself, head over to valuebuilder.com.
Next week, we'll be back with another interview with a successful entrepreneur to help you punch above your weight in negotiating the sale of your company. But until then, I'm the executive producer, Colin Morgan, and we'll talk to you again next week. 